All right. Um, before we get started today, I just want to touch on something that I know we're all aware of is going on in the world. Um, I'm going to say a couple little prayers. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Lectio 365, but this morning they did some prayers and I felt like the Lord laid them right in front of me and I wanted to share those with you today. So if you'll bow your heads and pray with me for the people in Israel and Gaza. Father God, first we pray with all of our hearts for those grieving the sudden loss of loved ones. Those who have been captured and those whose homes have suddenly been destroyed. Lord, we also pray for miraculous de-escalation of this dangerous conflict. Terrible things are being done Many hundreds have died. Hospitals are overflowing. Many are suddenly grieving. Violence is provoking violence, but Lord, we pray for reason to prevail over rage and revenge. May those with a vested interest in escalating this crisis somehow be restrained. And Lord, finally, a prayer for peace. We pray for active and effective peacemaking at an international political level. Lord, may the measured voices of dipl diplomacy constrain violence on every side. And it is in your son's holy and precious name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. Um, so let's jump right in to our study today. So most of you have done your homework for the week. Thank you, Whitney, for this amazing homework. You've spent a lot of time, I'm sure, studying the Kinsman Redeemer. So I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the definitions and the references, but really quickly, I would like to go over this together, which means I'm going to need some participation from you guys. So let's popcorn some answers to this question. How would you define kinsman redeemer? Really quickly, <laughs> how would you define Kinsman Redeemer? There is no one judging you for your answer, so go ahead. A blood relative? A blood relative who redeems somehow giving back, getting back what you've lost, okay? Anything else? To compensate or make amends, and I saw one other hand. So a male relative who has the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of someone else. Great job, thank you. Okay, this one should be really a little easier. Who do we think Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, represents? Great job, quick response. And then the lastly, what are some reasons the concept of kinsman-redeemer would be significant to the people of that time? Yeah, okay, great example for a woman at that time, specifically a widow, some social security for her, absolutely. Way out of 
a way out of poverty. Anything else? Okay, thank you guys for participating in that with me this morning. So we just learned, and we have learned in our homework this week, that a kinsman redeemer is a male blood relative who, by redemption, buys or clears debts of another. Some of what we're going to look at today is going to cause us to look forward in this story. And we haven't exactly studied all of that yet, but that's okay. Because today is supposed to help us in our understanding and help us build a foundation for the next few chapters. So when I move forward ahead in the story, don't feel like you're behind. I'm doing that. You had no idea. It's okay. Before we do that, though, I want us to read aloud together our theme for Ruth and Esther. So can you all do that with me? You ready? God is the purposeful author and hero of our story. He defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence. So this got me thinking, what might a life of influence look like and how could that relate to our concept or the concept of kinsman redeemer? Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live fully redeemed. And to live fully redeemed, we need a redeemer. And Ruth and Naomi had Boaz. So what makes Boaz Ruth and Naomi's kinsman redeemer? Well, we already studied and we just answered that he was a near relative, one of the nearest male relatives to them. Next, we talked about that he was willing and able to pay the debt. Now, what I need you to understand here is this was not a small debt. Imagine yourself in Naomi's shoes. You have an enormous debt, say a mortgage, and you have no means to pay for it, no job, and no one contributing towards anything at all for that debt. Okay, now let's imagine the moment when you receive a letter in the mail saying debt paid in full. How might that make you feel? Relief, yes. Grateful, yeah. Um, this here, we'll just, this is my mortgage. I'm gonna leave it right here. <laughs> just in case, hey, it's not just mine, it's Pastor Stuart Finner's mortgage too. If that is any motivation to pay, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, right? That would be pretty amazing. It would be a huge relief off the shoulders of many people in this room. Okay, so... He's their nearest male relative. He's willing and he's able to pay the debt because he has immense wealth. What else? God called him. God called Boaz to this because he was a man of kindness, valor, and character. His response to Ruth, his response to Naomi, and to his calling was an honorable one. What else does he do? Well, next week and the week after that, we'll learn, or not next week, because you're going to your small groups, we're not doing this. The following weeks, we're gonna learn this. He contends for Ruth. Chapter three, verse 12 and 13 says, but while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning, I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. 
But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. Chapter four says, Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't, let me know right away, because I am the next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land and the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot. So relative, able to pay the debt, called by God because of who he was, and he contends for Ruth. There's a lot of significance here that maybe you got to in your homework or maybe you didn't, but in Deuteronomy 7, 7 verses 3 and 4, it says this, You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So according to the law that Boaz has followed so closely all of his life, he can't marry her. But by agreeing to redeem Ruth and Naomi, we see him go against the grain here. And what we don't see at all is any wavering in his choice. He goes for it. He makes a decision that's not exactly within the law, and he trusts that God is in control. So Boaz, their kinsman redeemer, he had the right to save them. He had the power to save them. But beyond that, he had the kindness, the mercy, the valor, that has said love that we learned about last week, the character and the calling to redeem them. So let's look at Naomi and Ruth. How do we see them living out of the hope for that redemption? Well, last week in Naomi's story, we learned about Naomi moving from bitterness to hope. In verse 20 of chapter two, it says, may the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. In verse 22, we see the expectation of safety from Ruth, I mean from Naomi. She says, good, Naomi, explained, do as he said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. We see boldness. We see a hope in Boaz, but beyond that, a boldness that Naomi could only have had if she had hope. And once again, in verse Oh, sorry. I guess I don't have it there. I do. I just put the wrong reference. Sorry. In verse 318, so scratch that 14 out of your notes, we see her language and her action show us she is living out of hope. It says this, Then Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't rest until he has settled things today. So that's Naomi's life. 
And in Ruth's life, we see it from the start. We're going to go all the way back to chapter 1, 16 and 17, which we've read a lot and you should be very familiar with. But it says this. Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Ruth's hope shows up before she could ever fully understand what's to come. She gave up life as she knew it, her family, her wealth, her home, all to be a foreigner. And not just a foreigner, right? Like she had a neon sign over her head that said foreigner, Moabite, widow, right? She did all of that to follow Naomi, showing us that somewhere deep inside of her, she had hope for something greater. Often we see Ruth living and hoping ahead of what happens to her. In 2 verse 2, she hopes for a chance. One day the Ruth Moabite said to the one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, "Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it." In 2:21, Her anticipation shows us that she's hopeful. Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the harvest is completed. And in 3.9, she, spoiler alert, asks Boaz to marry her. Her boldness and faith are a result of her hope for redemption. We see Ruth making a lot of hopeful decisions, actions that on paper don't make sense. Have you ever done that? Made a decision or stepped into something based on hope of what could be? I know that I have. 10 years ago, we moved from Charleston to Charlotte, the only place I'd ever really known. And thank goodness I did, because now I'm here with you. We hoped in the extension of our family. We didn't know how God was going to do that. I know it wasn't traditional, but there was a lot of hope in that. And right now, I find myself hoping in situations that I currently have no answers for. But it is that hope, the hope of something else and something more and something greater that keeps me going. See, because they hoped... We get to see joy, excitement, trust, boldness, courage, expectant hearts. Restoration and redemption for them looks like land. It looks like family, maybe an heir. For Naomi, living redeemed looked like letting go. Freedom from the idea of what she had desired to what God had desired for her. Ruth, well, she gets to move from foreigner to family, grafted in. And guys, this was not her birthright, but it was God's plan. And God's plan throughout all of scripture has been to point us to the Messiah. Galatians 4 says this. 
But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Redeemer, our Savior, and because he grafted us in, our kinsman Redeemer. You see, before him, there was darkness, desperation, death, no hope, very much like Naomi and Ruth. But what did Jesus do to come as our Redeemer? Well, he left his throne of endless glory to a dirty and dusty manger, to become human, to suffer, to feel everything we are ever going to feel, to experience life on earth, to take on our sins as his own, erase our measureless debt, to contend for us, to give us foreigners a place in his family to die for us and then to rise for us, to give us eternal hope and life with him. If we are living out of hope, this hope, fully redeemed, what could our lives look like? Well, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. Romans 8, 9 through 11 says, to not be controlled by our sinful nature. The spirit of God living in us is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. First Peter 1 says in verse 3 that we are to live with great expectation. In verse 5, it says live protected under God's power. In verse 8, it says love him even though you've never seen him. Trust him. Rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. Verse 13 says to prepare our minds and exercise self-control to put hope in salvation. 14 says don't slip back into your old ways. 15 says be holy. 17 says, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents because as God's people, we are foreigners in this land, different from those who do not know God. 22 says to show sincere love to our brothers and sisters. And verse 23 says this, to live as one who has hope in eternal life. So, have you or are you allowing that root of bitterness to take a hold of your heart, leading you towards death? Or are you living as one, fully redeemed, holding on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? So, where are we now in the story? Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, will redeem Naomi and Ruth. 
They will have eternal significance as God works out his purpose through them and their family. It may seem like this is what Boaz was made for, this story. But what we know is he existed for far more than that. He existed for the same reason we do, to bring glory to God, to show the people a foretelling of sorts that a king, the king they've all been waiting for, was coming. And what we know 3,122 years later is this. It wasn't just a king, but it was the king of kings. Boaz is telling us, turn your eyes towards Jesus. In just a moment, Riza, one of our amazing and wonderful worship leaders here at New City, is going to come and lead us in a song. You're invited to stand. If that's what you want, you can remain seated if that's what's most comfortable for you as we worship and then reflect on these words. So, Marisa's coming up right now.